time for your weekly dose of nostalgia with the 80s, 90s, Uncensored. I am Milo Dennison. And I'm Jamie Fenderson. And today we're going to talk about the 1880s and 90s. That's right. So the 80s and 90s Uncensored doesn't have to say 1990s or 1980s. Yeah. It's, so we're going to talk about the 1880s and 90s, which in my head, I think we're from the West. So I've, I've pictured cowboys and... but. In England and stuff, it was all very Victorian with the top hats and Sherlock Holmes and, and the Industrial Revolution. And there's a lot going on in the 1880s and 1890s. Yeah, around the world, it was a lot of very different areas. Because, yeah, in the U.S., the Civil War would have just ended around well, that time? Civil War it had, had ended. But people were going west and they were going on the gold rushes mm -hmm. and... Our ancestors were on their way. Keeping the Native Americans off to their reservations. Yeah. Doing all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it was all very Victorian. Like, Britain still was very imperial. and Yeah, you had that uh, the British Empire growing and pretty big by that point, actually. But yeah. even expanding and... I'll get into one of my inventions that actually. And when you think about, about when you think about Vic Victorian age, you really think about kind of Victorian values and maybe some might see it as the pinnacle of civilization. It's kind of and interesting. Some it's an might interesting not. Some <laughs> might say, <laughs> say the complete opposite. Yeah. So it was an interesting time, and we're gonna talk about things, events, whatever happenings in in the 1880s and 90s. And we're going to try to tie that to 100 years into the that future, into our 1980s and 90s. And we're going to see how that rocks. We're going to do something a little different, see how that see how that goes. What do you think? Yeah, let's we can give it a try. Yeah. Do you want to kick us off, or do you want me to go for it? Go for it, man. Go for it. Okay, so my first thing is the coaxial cable. The coax cable that was invented in 1880 by an English engineer named Oliver Heaviside, and he patented it that same year. So a coax cable is a cable that has like an inner copper wire and then some insulation and then some copper mesh and then an outer insulation. And that's why they call it coax, because I guess it's got two kind of vibes going through it. But but the point is that it it it. It blocks out electromagnetic action so you can have a clear signal going through that coax cable. Then AT&T established the first cross-continental cross coax transmission system in 1990. Now, how am I going to relate this to the 1980s and 90s? Well, you and I both grew up watching a lot of cable. A lot of cable. And this was the invention that made that possible. So even in the 40s, they had like big antennas up in the mountains and stuff, but the coax cable would have, have it go to TVs. And then the FCC started placing like restrictions. They started in the 60s, they started regulating it. And then in 1972, the first satellite transmitted cable network launched, which was HBO. Mm. And then in 76, WTBS was the first Kind of like cable super station. So it was it was a station out of Atlanta, but it became TBS. So we could all watch the Beastmaster over and over and over again on TBS growing up because of that, right? 1981, the first cable music channel happened, MTV. 
right? 1983, the Disney Channel kicked off. And in 1984, Reagan was like, screw this, we're going to deregulate everything. And they, they deregulated a lot of that stuff. And in 1990, CNN became the first dedicated news channel, the cable news channel. So yeah, and then the internet throughout the 90s, that was transmitting through cable initially. And by 1999, there were 65 million households that had cable subscriptions in the U.S. So that's all due to a guy, an English mathematician named Oliver Heaviside, who invented the coax cable in 1880. Thank you, Oliver. That's a good one, because you're right. Cable TV really got into people's houses in the 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. That's when, like, you know, all the grouped cable channels and that kind of stuff and people and it became more affordable so mm -hmm. people could actually get their little cable box with their little dial yeah. and their little remote <laughs> and stuff like that yeah yeah that's a good one yeah how about you what you got so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna stretch here with this one but i love the story which is why i've decided to include it and that is in 1890 a patent went into the public domain, that is a clasp on Levi's jeans. So I'm going to back this up just a little bit. So prior to 1873, when jeans were made, they were basically sewn and stitched together and stuff like that. And a guy by the name of Jacob Davis invented that little metal clasp that goes into your jeans that clasps like the, the corners together. It's a copper rivet and it reforces points of strain around like pockets, corners, and that kind of stuff. The base of your button fly. I'm relating this. Give me a second. So Levi Strauss was uh, like he made cloth, right? And, uh, and stuff like that. This guy was a tailor. Levi was a pretty rich guy in San Francisco at the time. And this guy email or emails he emails levi so jacob sends levi a copy of this little thing that he invented and said hey i don't have a lot of money levi but you do so what do you say you help me patent this thing and we partner up and split money from it right and levi could have just been like thanks patented it himself and said yeah sue me poor guy with no money mm -hmm. but he didn't he actually did partner up with the guy and not only that he gave him like you know, very good deal with the the agreement between the two of them. He um, brought him over to work with him in the factory and that kind of stuff, like treated this guy and his family like really well. So I think it's just a lovely story about somebody, an industrialist in the late 1800s that actually was nice person. Yeah, it wasn't exploiting people. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. So patents didn't last as long back then. So in 1890, the patent... Uh, expired on it, which means other gene manufacturers could wear it. So those Wrangler jeans that your mom made you wear in the 80s that she bought at Kmart because you couldn't get the fancy Levi jeans, the little clasp on there started this. So that's how I bring it back to the, to the 1980s and 90s because the jeans I wore and the jeans I upgraded to from my Wranglers to my Levi's. And I actually have three pairs of Levi's in my closet right now. 
Now the clasp, are you talking about that button? Not the button thing? fly. Or, or is it the like the thing on the pocket? That it's little, the thing on the pocket. Yep. That, it's little, that little metal round thing metal on the pocket. Round button. I've never known why that's there. Mm -hmm. Is that is it there to keep the oh it's there to keep the pockets from tearing at the corner, huh? Exactly. Oh. This is basically because prior to that they were called denim pants or they might be called overalls. And this is really what turned them into jeans that we know today. Prior to that, they wouldn't have been thought of the same thing. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. I feel enlightened because I never really questioned what those little button things on the pockets were for. And now I know the whole story. Mind blown, dude. Good story. Yeah, they were originally sold to like gold miners and that kind of stuff. But yeah. Very it's nice. Cool. Yeah, it's a cool story. So that's kind of why. And it relates. And, and it's enlightening to know what those little buttons on the pockets are. Mm -hmm. um, I never even thought to even ask the question what they were. But now that I do, I'm like, well, what, have, what even are they for? And now I know. I feel smarter. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I feel smarter. So on October 26th, I don't know if you have this one, but if you do, you're going to have to come up with something else. October 26, 1881, the Earp brothers faced off against the Clanton McLurry gang in a legendary shootout at the OK Corral in Tombstone, Arizona. Um, that was the big, and it only lasted like 30 seconds or so. So you had the uh, the Earps and their and their buddy Doc Holliday, and the Clanton McLowrys. And they they were having kind of a big tiff over who really kind of controlled the town of Tombstone and surrounding areas. And uh, one day that all came to a big big gunfight at the OK Corral. I think you you probably know what I'm going to relate this to. I do now. Yeah, I don't have this yeah. on my list, but when you said it, I'm like, okay. Now, first I was like, how's he going to relate this? And then I thought about it. Oh, you totally know, because in 1993, yep. on Christmas 1993, to be precise, Tombstone, the film came out, which is an awesome movie. It's written by Kevin Jar. It's produced by James Jack, starring Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer, who I love in this movie, Michael Bain, Powers Booth, Sam Elliott. It's a great cast. It's probably, in my opinion, the best Western of all time. I will say it. And that came out in 1993. I think it's just a great movie. And without the actual event, as tragic as it probably was, we wouldn't have had this spectacular movies with spectacular actors that came out in 1993. So thank you, Erps. Thank you, Doc Holliday. Thank you, McClary's, um, and all, all the people involved at that shootout because your sacrifice made one of the best movies in my in my repertoire. I like it. Uh, yeah. See our previous episode on, I think, didn't we do best Westerns? Yeah. Or? 1994 Westerns. And we even included this one because it's like, ah, oh, it's only like six, it's like a week. So we do, we do have a yeah, best Westerns of 1994. And even though this came out in 1993, we're like, well, that counts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. But it was an actual event. Um, so that movie that we love is based on a real event. There's a whole history there. Um, and I encourage people to check out the real history. My next one is Kodak Camera. So in 1888, Kodak patented their first portable camera. So prior to that, cameras were these big things that you had to haul around, put them up on a tripod, slide like this glass plate into it, 
and you know swap it out that way. So Kodak actually came up with a small handheld box camera, which they could then preload with 100 rolls of film, by the way. Pretty impressive, considering now when you bought film, it's like 24 or 36 rolls. Mm -hmm. It was originally on paper film, and then they moved to the celluloid material later on. And how it worked is you'd pay $25 for the camera, which back then would be a lot of money. Take your 100 pictures with it, and then you'd send the whole thing into Kodak for $10. They'd develop your 100 prints. They'd reload the camera and send the whole thing back to you. So they basically invented the modern camera then. In 1986, we had Fuji that invented the disposable camera. And in 1988, we had Kodak, which came up with a smaller, less expensive camera. So roughly 100 years later, Kodak is still creating at this point in time. So they first come out with the portable camera that you can carry around, and then they come out with a little $6.95 35 millimeter camera. Wow. 100 years later. 100 years later. They come up with the, first they come up with the, what, in, it, what the first one was what, instant? The first one the in the 1800s that you had to mail in, and then after that it was the disposable oh. Disposable, you could just throw it away. Yeah. So 100 years later, they're still doing later. it. Yeah. Wow. So there you go. So in May 8th, 1886, there was a doctor, a pharmacist named John Stith Pemberton. And he he's produced... British, I'm guessing, from that name? No, no. He's from Atlanta. Um, oh, okay. Or at least all this stuff happened in Atlanta. And he produced a syrup. And he carried a jug of this new syrup to uh, Jacob's Pharmacy, where they sampled it and said it was just excellent. And so they combined it, combined it with, you know, back in the day they had syrups, they combined with sparkling water, carbonated water, and it was fun, but it was also supposed to be medicinal. But uh, they liked it, and that was the first uh, time Coca-Cola was ever enjoyed. D they called it delicious and refreshing. So that was that was uh, May eighth, eighteen eighty six, almost a hundred years to the day on April twenty third, nineteen eighty five. Coca Cola wanted to change that recipe, and they came out with new Coke. They said oh, they yeah. had something better than the good Doctor Pemberton's uh, original recipe. They had something even better. And so they they at, uh, on April twenty third, nineteen eighty five, they said they were coming out with a a new Coke, a new recipe, and then everybody went bonkers because they thought that there was nothing better than original Coke, and if they changed it, no one was going to buy it. And to this day, some say it was the biggest marketing flop in history while others say it's probably the most successful marketing campaign in all of history because it resolidified that nobody wants to change that 100-year-old recipe of uh, Coca-Cola, which is still around today as far as I know. Yeah, I think I was reading, I saw something about this, and they say Coke is the most recognized word globally. Like, you can pretty much go anywhere and say, hey, I'll take a Coke. And you might, yeah. you might you might you might get a Pepsi or something like that, but they know what you're talking about. Like it's the yeah. equivalent of that. You'll get a soda. And that and and funny thing about Coca Cola is, 
like you can go to the back water of of the world where they have almost nothing, but they always have gas and Coke, right? Exactly. Somehow the distribution of gas and Coke is like so pervasive in the world that you could always find those two things. You might be starving, but you got Coke, man. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, all the different variations of it too. You can visit the Coke museum or Coke museum, but the Coke thing in, in um, Atlanta and they, they got a space in there and you can go and sample the flavor from how it's sold in each different country. Yeah. I like Mexican Coke. Yeah. Cause it's got real sugar in it. Yeah. And it, it does taste better and it's, it's available here. Like you go to Safeway and I'll buy Mac. It's more expensive, but it's like, it tastes like we, it tastes, it tastes good. It's not like American Coke's not, it's just not as good. My next one is the gas powered automobile. So in 1886, Carl Benz invents the first petrol or gas-powered automobile. Prior, there, there had been people working on this and that kind of stuff, but he kind of gets credit in 1886 for taking an internal combustion engine, throwing it on like a three-wheeled thing that allows it to move around and stuff like that. Most of us know the history of the car, so I'm not going to go into too much of that. How that relates to 100 years later. So living in London, everybody knows the M25. It is basically the equivalent of a highway or whatever that kind of goes around the city. And the idea was that it was built to help with automobile congestion. And in fact, kind of made it worse and it separated. So a lot of people use it as a landmark. So I'll see like castings, acting auditions and stuff and be like, okay, must be located within the M25. And so, cause it kind of circles the city and anything outside is kind of considered outside and anything in. Modern city walls. <laughs> basically, it's it's basically the equivalent of, yeah, modern city walls. It's a good point. So Margaret Thatcher kind of inaugurated this road and like, yeah, we're going to like clear up congestion and that kind of stuff because of Carl Benz's gas powered thing, which has made everywhere you go, congested with cars. And in fact, the M25 did the complete opposite of that. It's actually kind of considered a byword for traffic jams. Oh. So it's not quite a bypass for London. It's basically just another way to get people in cars on the road. And when they were building this and talking about it, people are like, I'm going to buy a car because I can drive around. So it actually contributed to congestion from Carl Benz's invention. Thanks, Carl. Yeah, thanks a lot. And now we have American suburbs that are like all sprawled out. And they were actually, they were still working on vehicles prior to this too. They, uh, the battery powered car actually was a kind of a competing invention, but it has to do with the cheap gasoline that made the gas powered engine be the winner versus over battery power. And now- Because yeah, there's an unlimited supply of that. So exactly. That'll yeah, never be fine. a problem in the future. <laughs> But it is funny that now we're actually kind of switching over to battery, realizing like, oh, okay, yeah, that wasn't a good idea. Victorians, oh, silly. <laughs> so did you know that uh, in April of 1896 was the first modern Olympic Games? Did you know that? No, I thought it would have been before that. Mm -mm. I mean, they had Olympic Games in the in the ancient times, but they, you know, went out often in antiquity, but the first modern one that we know, the Olympics that we know today, the first summer Olympics, 
was in Athens. So they did have it in Athens to re-inaugurate the Olympic tradition. And it was in 1896, which is interesting to me. And the reason why I think that's interesting to me is because you're growing up, especially in the 80s, the Olympics were kind of a big deal. And especially since we were, you know, going against the Soviets all the time and we couldn't fight them like in a battlefield. So we really like to, to, to compete with them, you know, on the, on the ice hockey rink, for example, when in 1980 in Lake Placid, New York, when the U S team uh, beat the heavily, heavily, heavily favored professional, even though they're not professional Soviet team. Um, that was one of the biggest not even an Olympic history, maybe in sports history, one of the biggest uh, sports events of all time. And even stuff like, like, do you remember in, in the eighties when, when they had like, uh, what was her name? She was the gymnast and she was hanging out with Mary Lou. Mary Lou. Yeah. I have, um, I have her name on a list for a future episode on the episode list that we should do. Yeah. And we should, and she was huge in the 80s. She's just this little girl, but she was like this national hero hanging out with Reagan, and she was on the Wheaties box probably longer than anybody that I remember. Like, mm -hmm. she was all over the Wheaties box. So just the Olympics in general, especially in the 1980s, was huge if you were like a kid in the 80s. And the first Olympics, the modern Olympics that happened was in 1896. Hmm. Cool. Well, my last one is going to be a nice upbeat one. And that is Haram Maxim invented the recoil-operated Maxim machine gun. This is basically the first machine gun invented in 1884. So he got his patent in 1883, but really kind of the gun rolled out in 1884. And this is where we get the machine gun that can fire 600 rounds per minute. Great for the British with their imperial conquest of African nations and that kind of stuff. It was operated by roughly like four to six people. It was heavy, you had to carry around, you had loaders, you had the shooter. Then of course it got smaller. The US government adopted a version of it in 1904, the lighter whatever version. The quote around this is, Maxim was reported to have said in 1882, I was in Vienna, where I met an American whom I had known in the States. He was American, but he actually moved to London where um, this was manufactured. He said, hang your chemistry and electricity. If you want to make a pile of money, invent something that will enable these Europeans to cut each other's throats with great efficiency. And that's what he did. So he invented a weapon. He had invented plenty of other stuff prior to that. He had a fight with Edison about who invented the light bulb. Uh, like a curling iron thing, that kind of stuff. So, of course, how does this relate to, well, the 1980s and 90s? Well, we had the U.S. invasion uh, of Grenada in the 80s under Reagan. And then, of course, in the 90s, we had the Gulf Wars. And basically, every war since then has been fought with a gun that is due to the results of him inventing the first fully automatic machine gun. That's not untrue, but when you were talking, I was thinking about Rambo in First Blood Part Two, just going <laughs> like getting all angry because he got betrayed and he's like shooting up in the air, like ah or 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 Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator 2 when he's blasting all those cop cars. <laughs> we wouldn't have that either, dude. <laughs> all our cool action films. Absolutely. 
Yeah, wouldn't have happened. Arnold and and Stallone wouldn't have had a They'd career. Have been bow and arrows. If it weren't Take for that. that. <laughs> they would have been like, pow, pow. Not nearly yeah, as exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like back in the day, you could invent something and patent it. But now all the patents are very like specific. Like I have this line of code or I have this type of coding that goes on a coax cable, but it's a very specific type, <laughs> right? It's all very specific kind of stuff nowadays. Yeah, well, that's the change. Uh, I was listening to a podcast about this, and it used to be when you patented, it had to be a specific item or a specific something. Uh, but now you can patent an idea. Yeah. Well, I shit, then I need to go to the patent office. I got loads of ideas. <laughs> I'm going to do it. <laughs> and then I'll say I've got patents and, and potential employers, but oh, he's a patent holder. Yeah. <laughs> you look at my patents, all dumb shit. There's people that do that. They come up with the idea. And then basically the idea, the same podcast talked about it. People will, this interview, he and the, the host interviewed people that like have multiple registered patents, not necessarily so they can make it themselves, but so that they have the idea so that somebody like Apple or one of these big companies wants to do it and then comes and buys the patent from him so that that way they can make it. So they just mm. register patents for the sake of selling the patent to big companies. Wow. So there you go, it. Jamie. We should try. That's something I could do. Maybe I could do that. Yeah. Sit around and think up shit and patent it and wait for my ship to come in. That sounds good. Yep. Uh, let's wrap it up then. Let us know what you think of things from the 1880s and 1890s as they relate to the 1980s and 1990s. You can reach us on Instagram mostly. Facebook, I guess, at No Budget Show. That's not this one. At no, no, you're mixing your... I'm missing my podcast your, up again. Your podcast up again. Just go to the 80s and 90s.com. Yeah, that'll always be there. It's that'll your fault for getting rid of our Twitter. I used to be able to just say all social yeah, media. Well, it's not my fault because for getting rid of our Twitter because it's not Twitter. Whatever. X. <laughs> I don't want to go... I don't want you to go to a porn site to hang out with us. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. And with that, folks, we'll say we are out of here to go register some of our own patents for things that will be discussed 100 years from now. <laughs>